1: it's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. We now see Solomon change gears and looks at what he said this far and has more things now that he sees That are vain, things that are causing issues. And he starts off with a warning about being on guard. And this chapter really is all about being on guard. If you're not on guard, you will slip and fall. The very first word of chapter 5 verse number 1 is keep. Now when we look at the word keep there, it is the Hebrew word shamar. And it means to Hedge about to guard to protect, and so it carries the idea of keeping the keeper, and that uh, phrase is used a lot: the the watchtower and the keeper and the guard to be ever careful to watch carefully over to be on guard. Well, there are several things that we're to be on guard for or against. First of all, in verses one through seven, we're to guard our walk. We're to guard our walk and our words. Our walk and our words. Secondly, we are to guard against wickedness. We are to guard against the love of wealth, and we're to guard our warrant. And that is a verb that means merit. The word warrant has a noun that has a different meaning than the word Uh, Warrant does as a verb. So let's take a look at these four things and see what's happening. By way of introduction, just remind yourself that the Christian life is a battlefield. It is not a playground. It is a place of battle. So it's a place of danger. So every place that we see In this world because this world is the battleground the battleground is the world philosophies the world systems the world thinking the worldly wisdom and all of the different religions and philosophies that are surrounding the world is all a danger zone to the Christian life and the Bible's view a worldview of biblical proportions versus a worldview of uh, philosophical, scientific, or whatever people put in it, is a two totally diametrically opposed views. And when you see things through the world's view and not the biblical view, you will make wrong decisions every time. Well, if you're on a battlefield, you know that you have to protect yourself from being shot, you have to protect yourself from those who might be hiding in the bushes shooting at you, those who might be flying in the air, and you have to beware of where you're walking because of the landmines that they put under the ground. There are things that can go off. My Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Therefore, my Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom... He may devour life is a place that you need to be on guard so we start out with guarding our walk and guarding our words and literally in these first few verses guarding our worship watch this keep guard thy foot when thou goest to the house of God be careful where your foot's going, okay, find out where you're stepping, make sure you're stepping in the right direction, because you need to be ready more to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. So be careful, guard, keep it up, look carefully, when thou goest, watch where your foot's taking you, when thou goest to the house of God, Because you do not want to go in there and offer a sacrifice like a fool does. And you don't realize what you're doing. You don't think through what it is you're doing. Where you go. And he says, when thou comest. Keep thy foot when thou comest to the house of God. And you ought to keep your foot where you go outside of the house of God. But when you come, keep your foot in place. Now watch this. He says here that we should hear his word. So we not only need to have a walk that needs to be guarded, but we need to have words that need to be guarded. And we need to guard the words of God's word. Be more ready to hear God's word. And that's why the Bible makes it clear, this book of the law shall not depart uh, out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. When we get to Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. For then he shall make his way prosperous, and then he'll have good success in uh, the first verse I was quoting, and he'll be prosperous And that verse I was quoting out of Psalms. So between Joshua 1, 8 and Psalm 1, 1 to 3, we see prosperous, prosperous success, all dealing with taking the word of God into our meditation. And then David said in Psalm 1, thy word have I hidden my heart memorized. It's hidden in there. He has it that I might not sin against thee. So we are to come to God's house And be ready to hear the word of God. We should be very, 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 very quick to listen and very, 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 very slow to speak, as the book of James talks about. In fact, he goes on to say, about the service of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. They don't even realize they're in there going wrong. They're, they're just so fast at opening and doing and saying that they don't even think about the fact they could be wrong. So then he gives a warning about our words. Be not rash with thy mouth. Ooh, ooh, be not rash with thy mouth. Do not hasten to disturb words. Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Now, what in the world is he saying here? Well, he's saying here, don't be hasty to speak before God because you won't think through what you're saying. And you may, you may falsely accuse God. You may blame God. You may get irritated and aggravated with God. Have you ever done that? You maybe hoped a prayer would be answered and it doesn't get answered. And you just very quickly in prayer say, Lord, I thought you would take care of this. I'm hurting. Don't you know? I'm... And sometimes we just have a mouth. And the Bible makes it very clear, be not rash. Don't do that. Let thine heart be hasty, quick, swift, to utter anything before God. For God's in heaven. He has a different perspective. You have got to see it through the eyes of heaven. There's a beautiful song that I have sung way in the past when I was a teenager. And uh, I've sung it recently, uh, not too long ago after uh, lots of years uh, of forgetting the song was there. Beautiful song that says, Let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. A world of men who don't want you, Lord, but a world for which you died. Let me kneel with you in the garden." Blur my eyes with tears of agony. For if once I could see this world the way you see, I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. Let me see this world, dear Lord, through your eyes when men mocked your holy name. When they beat you and spat upon you, Lord, let me love them as you love them just the same. Let me stand high above my petty problems and grieve for men hell bound eternally. For if once I could see this world the way you see, I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. Yeah. Hey, let me see it through God's eyes. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, shh. Let thy words be few. Be still and know that I am God. He says, for a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. He's comparing it to like dreams come when we're full of care and we just look at things and go, oh, what are we going to do? So he says, be careful what you do in the business and the things that come to your mind and you utter out of your mouth, and he's changing gears here to talk about our words coming to the point of a vow. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasures in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. All right, now here is something where you made a vow unto God, a promise. You've made a vow of a promise. You know, it is a marriage vow. We're making a promise. There is a, uh, we live in a day and age where we break lots of promises, but it shouldn't be that way. Well, man, when it comes to this, do not make it before God and then be slack in paying it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Do what you said. Make it so. Okay. Now when we come to this, he says, Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and pay. Suffer. Do not allow. The word suffer means allow, but it's suffer not. So do not allow thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Do not let your mouth cause you to sin. Be careful with your tongue. Keep your tongue from evil. Be very, very careful what it is that you speak. Be very careful what you say. The Bible was talking about even in our prayers when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. And then we know things come flowing out of the heart. Out of the heart things happen a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Over in Proverbs chapter 4 it says keep, that's guard again, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are all the issues of life. Guard it. Don't make a vow and then say I'm not going to pay it. By the way This is just repeating what the law said when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23, where it says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of the lips thou shalt keep, and perform. Guard and perform. Even the free will offering according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Do you see what it is? If you vow and you're slack to pay it, not only that you don't pay it, but you're slack in paying it. God says, I will require it of you and it will be sin in your life. You are to keep the performing of it. Now, if you don't bear, if you forbear to vow, if you don't bow, hey, then there's no sin because you didn't make the vow. Be very, very careful. Jephthah made an awful vow and ended up that uh, his daughter was had to lament her virginity and remain uh, as a single woman apart from everyone because of his awful, awful vow that he did. So not paying a vow is sin and then delaying in paying a vow is sin. As for in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also diverse or various vanities. We get down here and we see that vow making was usually something that was before God. It was not mandatory, but the willingness of the individual. And so we need to honor God because when you speak to make a vow, if you do not keep it, You are like in the multitude of dreams where many words are there and all kinds of various vanities," He said, you don't want that, but what you need to do instead is fear God. Be careful that you fear God. If thou seest the oppression of the poor, now he makes a change when we get to verse number eight. When we come to verses number eight and nine, we are not only to guard our walk and our worship and our words. But now, verses 8-9, we are to guard against wickedness. There are wickednesses in all kinds of places, but here he talks about a couple of them. First of all, the wickedness of oppression. The, the horror of oppression. And here we're looking at the word oppression. It means cruelty, extortion. It has everything to do with defrauding and robbing of people what is theirs and denying justice to those who have no ability to defend themselves. If thou seest the oppression of the poor, verse 8, and violent perverting of judgment. Not just the perverting of judgment, the slandering of the verdict, trying to sway, but the violent perverting. Perverting of justice. The violent taking away of justice and righteousness from somebody and justice in a province. Now, in our, our society, in our uh, United States of America, if you are being arrested for some reason by a policeman, he is required to read what has become known as the Miranda Rights. You have the right to remain silent you have the right to have an attorney present. If you give up the right to remain silent, you know, you have the right to have an attorney present. And if you can't afford one, one will be appointed for you by the court. There are certain rights that you have. And so when those are taken away, you're oppressing those who have no ability to even try to fix it. He said, if you see that and all this perverting of justice and judgment in a province, marvel not at the matter For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. You know, very, very easily said, this always somebody that's higher than somebody else. You get to the Supreme Court of our land, that's as high as you can go. But my friend, there's above that, there is the Supreme Court for Bible believers. And that is God's word. God puts his final stamp of it. Whatever God's word says, that trumps everything else there is. So when you sit there and think, hey, there is no way it's going to be, they're going to get away with this, and they do, and they do, and they do. You say, I don't get this. They're not going to get away with it forever. Their day's coming. Even if they go all the way to death, their day came. They will have a punishment and a judgment that they cannot get out of, then their wealth and riches and status on this life will not help them because they'll be standing before God Almighty. He that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. God knows what's going on. And in his time, chapter 3, remember, in his time, he will fix the the deal. He will fix what's going on. God will fix it all one day, but there are things he allows because it will praise him. There are things he does not allow because it will not praise him. We drop down to verse number nine, and we read, moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all, and the king himself is served by the field. Basically, what Solomon is saying is God made everything on the earth, in the earth, under the sea. It's his blessings for all to enjoy. The oppressors might act, though it's just for them and nobody else, but it's not. It is for all, even the king himself down to all. But here's the problem. They act like it's not, and they do everything they can to gain and get all the blessing and deprive all the oppressed people. But he says that all belongs to God. Moreover, The prophet of the earth is for all. God paid this place for us to live. Now, those were two short verses, but now he comes and deals with another longer set, like the first set, and we're looking about guard yourself against the love of wealth. The love of wealth. When we look at this, verse number 10, it's very, very plainly said, watch, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Ouch. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. It is empty, empty, empty. It says in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Listen carefully. For the love of money is the root of all evil which some have coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It is the love of money. It is not money. We need money to uh, take care of bills and those kind of things, but it is the love of money, which is the root of all evil. It is the downward grab. It is what is holding the roots and the whole structure up. Everything about your uh, needs of finances and, and getting money, it all is rooted in the love of money, not the love of God. So he that loveth silver, and that's ETH, continuously loves getting more and more and more, he shall not be satisfied. He'll never be satisfied with silver. And he that loveth continually gaining, abundantly increasing. That's just emptiness and vanity of spirit. He says, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving, beholding of them with their eyes? He comes down and talks about the wealth, and he makes it very, very clear. If you accumulate a great amount of possessions and wealth, all you can do is look at it. You know, uh, what, what else can you do? You get lots of money and either spend it or you hoard it. You look at it. And then once you spend it, you whatever you bought, the materialism, you look at it. And uh, maybe you use it for a little while and then it sits around. That's the kind of thing that he's saying. There's a limit of the satisfaction. There's a lack of the satisfaction. And then he goes on and says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer or allow him to sleep. He said, it's pretty much interesting. Wealth does not always allow people to have a good night's sleep. They stick up all night trying to figure out how to make more money, how to invest their money, why someone steals their money, what about if they break into this place or if this goes down, and they're constantly, constantly, constantly going about it. And it's amazing how many people were rich that... uh, Stayed like Howard Hughes, stayed bundled up in a little place, scared of germs, and never could enjoy what he had. But he said, "The sleep of a laboring man is sweet." He labors. He knows that he's just made enough to get by. There's not anything in him that's going to really be able to steal because he just got enough to get by, whether he eat a little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. He cannot do it. And then Psalm says, "There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun." <laughs> Namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. He said, I keep looking at this uh, under the sun without God. There are riches that are kept to the owner and they hurt them. They just bring nothing but hurt and misery to them. But those riches perish by evil travail. That wealth is lost through all kinds of things ups and downs of the stock market, gambling and bad luck, good luck. You know, there's just all of these things. The wealth perishes. Wealth doesn't last forever. And so he says, and he that begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. He says here, riches cause inability not only to be hung on to, but sometimes even to give the heritage to his own family. Sometimes they lose their wealth before it can even be given to their offspring. Some people have had lots of wealth, and by the time they die, there's nothing left to give over to the kids at all. And then we see that as he came forth from his mother's womb, naked shall he return as he came. shall so he go take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. He said, that's just like what Job said. Naked I came into this world, naked I returned. The Lord gives. the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Solomon looks at it from under the sun view. And Job looked at it from above, looking at the S-O-N view. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days he eateth in darkness, and hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness." Well, we're running out of time. Let's get this last one. We're going to guard our warrant, our merit. Solomon then makes this point. God made things for us to enjoy. We need to enjoy them. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, God's merit. For he shall not remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. You know, there's just something about just living in the joy of the things of God. Enjoy your privileges with God. Whatever God has blessed you with, enjoy it. Wherever God has you in your life, enjoy what he's given you. If it's a little or a lot, Paul said, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. I've been everything in between. I understand it, and I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. My friend, be content, rejoice, and have joy of heart in anything and everything God's given you, not comparing it to others. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would help us to take that last part and be on guard of the things we're to guard for and against and not let them get to us and hurt us like Solomon did and destroy us from being the kind of godly Christians that we should be that please the Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Walton. Have a great week.
0: Yes, I believe every word that he said. He said he would do, how I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word is true. Oh, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through.
1: You have been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless truth.